the esteemed speaker shri ajit dhawal national security advisor to deliver the sardar patel memorial lecture 2018 on the topic dream india 2030 avoiding the pitfalls this is honorable minister for information and broadcasting kanar rajawardhan rathor shri surya prakash ji चेयरमैन ऑफ प्रसार भारती श्री अमित खरे सेक्रेटरी मिनिस्ट्री ऑफ इंफॉर्मेशन एंड ब्रॉडकास्टिंग श्री राजीव सिंह मेंबर फाइनेंस प्रसार भारती श्री अशोक टंडन मेंबर प्रसार भारती श्री सहरिया डायरेक्टर जनरल ऑफ ऑल इंडिया रेडियो डिस्टिंग्विस्ट लेडीज एंड जेंटलमैन फ्रेंड्स फ्रॉम द मीडिया एंड अदर डिग्नेटरीज प्रेजेंट आई रियली फील प्रोविलेस्ड and to some extent humbled to be asked to come and speak today here is named after a man of that great stature who has contributed so much and what all and what all we see of india today there is a large proportion of it we owe to his great contribution this lecture which was started way back and the first speaker was shri rajgopal acharya it's really very humbling for me to be asked to come and speak on this occasion i am grateful to prasar bharti for giving me this opportunity there is no doubt and there is plenty that has been said and talked about sardar patel about his great contribution about his unifying the country but on top of it he was a great visionary he was a visionary who in his time could think beyond his time that what all could go wrong if he does not take those steps which he did probably within his own lifetime it would not have mattered if india's sovereignty was not established throughout its length and breadth but beyond his time they might have been a source of a great national this is all degradation. india radio archives he brought this country together when we envision the future actually there are two components involved in that the dream of the future one is that you look into the time span ahead of you based on an empirical knowledge or experience of the past you think not only about your generation but the generations that are going to succeed and then you also have a direction to that vision without a direction probably a vision doesn't mean anything so the nation building the function of vision is very important it is just like the role of a radar in any missile or in any super aircraft that we use today and this visionary or this vision is not something which stops with a man or which stops with a generation it has got to be a continuing thing a nation which aspires to be great we want everyone there to have a vision and that makes the larger national vision I do not know how many of you would be able to recall what China looked like in late 70s. It was much backward than India. It hardly had any defense industries. It had a very low technological base. It's we had a setback in 62, but that notwithstanding, India was much ahead of. But then there was a man Deng Xiaoping who came out with a vision, and a vision up to 2050. 
and in that vision he said that well how china has to emerge as a major power of the world what all it should do that by 2010 it able to become the major economy of the world what it should be do that is able to become the industrial power by the end of uh, last century how is it able to become a major military power by 2020 This why it should avoid major military conflicts up to 2050 it has to become the world global leader now that was the vision which changed china today the world is excited about india you see the statements of the leaders the academia the strategic thinkers international institutions global media it's all full of the possibilities and promise of india the india is at the threshold of a great journey ahead probably the excitement is not only because they wish india very well but because in the rise of india also lies the vested interest of the world at large india as a pluralistic free democracy its rise means many things to the world the question another question is very important is unlike when the china's rise came through the question was always asked and is still asked will china's rise be peaceful nobody is asking this question about india one question is of course asked at times will india make it or still lose the opportunity because they thought that such turning points came in india's long journey many times over when it missed the opportunity it couldn't make what it had the potential of making and why do they think that india this time can make it why this entire mood of euphoria why the world is so much upbeat of course one of our biggest strengths is our stable democratic constitutional polity our open pluralistic society governed by the rule of law but what has added more to that is our emerging as the fastest growing major economy our demography our youth bulge india is going to remain the youngest nation of the world till till 2065 so we've got a long time when the world will be having its major workforce and the youth power coming from this country but the most important thing has been the dynamic leadership that indian polity has been able to throw up a government which had come with an absolute majority and has been able to change the course of its growth and development the world view that by 2030 india will be the third largest economy is not disputed anymore that it will be an economy 11 trillion plus it will be third power after us and china it will also have a military power which probably will be one of the most capable military power to which would be able to bring about the stability not only in the region but beyond it's also felt that its technological prowess would be something that would be able to contribute substantially in the new and the niche areas of technology may it be space may it be cyber may it be nanotechnologies may it be more advanced technologies but are indians also as much excited about it do you see the mood I was just trying to see that how many of the articles have been written about what India would look like in 
and i found that most of it is from the foreign origin some of them have copied cut and paste here doing a very poor job of it but no original thinking has taken place in india we don't have the mindset where we think long term strategic probably we lack confidence we think that it's all very uncertain it's all gas it doesn't happen and i was wondering why is, is it all india radio why is this reported. mindset of the indians and one of the explanation was this that it is the inertia of the long years of slavery bondage subjugation you live in the present you live for today survival is my problem will i exist and therefore to me something which is too remote is something very fearful something very apprehensive i am not too confident whether i'll be able to do that let me take care of my today probably tomorrow will take care of itself so one is the historical reason the another explanation was this that indians are very individualistic that is a psychological reason that psychologically you think about yourself and a vision always includes something which is collective something that you think beyond your own self you think about your neighbor you think about the street you think about your um, country you think about your community you think about the society and you say that well i have got hardly time resources and capabilities to look and take care of my own self well, who cares for the rest so an individualistic mindset where even if you want to get moksha you want to go to in seclude and become a hermitage and go to the himalayas you would like to get the sub, the uh, sublimation all by your own self it is not collective you would not like to go for the collective praying or not like to uh, go for war collectively and that's what probably sikhism brought to us when guru gobind said realize if you want to fight together you have to eat together you have to pray together you have to live together but probably there is another one you know that's more painful and that was i was reading mr ig patel talked about it something he says indians don't dream he says the politicians are responsible for it he says they built up so many dreams and those dreams never came true so they have refused to believe those dreams they tell you about a good tomorrow to get the vote today this is all in and that tomorrow never comes. is it true let us be very objective about it let us not always so self replicating do you know in 1945 when india's population was about 32 crore and we had the whole of punjab which later became the west pakistan and the whole of bangladesh which that time was east of uh, bengal and the population was 32 crore and these were the two areas which were the granaries of india one growing the wheat another the rice and there was a famine and do you know how many people died in that famine 5 lakh people died in that famine i wonder how many people in this room know it nobody talked about it 5 lakh they could not be dug nor could be burnt the indian army was caught by the britishers to dig the trenches and put the bodies in that probably the sad chapter of history is even forgotten even by the countrymen today we are 130 crore people there is no more of that punjab left no more of that bengal left today not that every indian has got plenty of food we have got plenty to export we find that our additional production clears the glut in the market the land has squeezed you think the indians have done nothing don't you think that we can be proud of it probably in last 70 years we have progressed the way more than one 
most of the countries would have done for centuries. We are in cyber, we are in space, we are in technology, we have got the best institutions, and we have got the best human resource capital that we have built. So let us not be self-deprecating, and just because some of your dreams don't come true, don't stop dreaming. And I, as a security man, considered it extremely important. Because when your dreams start coming true, or when you this when you stop dreaming, your will gets eroded. And when the nation's will gets eroded, it can never become a power. No army can fight whose will has been destroyed. Wars are fought not to kill. People are not the killers. Wars are fought to kill the will of the nation against whom we are fighting, so that it can accept to the peace terms which are acceptable to us. We destroy the will of the nation, will of the people, will of that nation. And if we ourselves are going to destroy the will of the nation through our negativism and cynicism, well, probably we'll have a very little future. And that is the painful thing that the countrymen themselves do not feel upbeat about the future of India that the world is talking about. They do not realize their own strength. We can never be great unless our society and our people think that it is within us. We are capable of doing and achieving that. You know, coming back to my subject, that what are the pitfalls? What are the possible minefield that we should avoid? The first thing: avoid anything, counter anything, fight anything that erodes the national will. Build the will of the nation, and this nation will get built itself. There are plenty of forces, more within than outside, who probably are bent upon. eroding the will of the nation we are very fortunate that in the last 4 years or so the country's national will has been aroused it has been strengthened people feel happy that anywhere in the world that they go today they can stand with their heads high they feel proud of the various new initiatives that have been taken and successfully been this thing yes All these new experimentations, reforms, and others are exothermic exercises. They create heat; they generate heat, so they create pain. No country can become big or great without experiencing some pain. We have to make some sacrifices for the coming generations. Don't forget that our past generations, who probably never lived to see the fruits of independence and the freedom, probably had made many sacrifices. is it something that we cannot do in case there are certain hardships these are the hardships that will ensure that your children and your grandchildren tomorrow will be able to live and breathe in a world in a country where in a world where india is much more respected india is much more powerful india has got a much greater destiny i think if somebody asked me what is the greatest contribution or what is the greatest achievement of india in the last few years i will say that india has started realizing its strength realizing its might and that has started building up its national will and this national will is reflected when we are able to take strong positions both within and outside the country when we are able to follow our independent foreign policies which are in the best interest of our country even when it comes to the major power relationships we are here to serve the indian interest we can do it with confidence but it requires the national will and will of the people 
So I think the first pitfall that we have got to avoid is that we should not allow this national bill to get eroded. But there are some other reasons also why I decided to talk on this. And that's what I was telling Mr. Surya Prakaji yesterday. One reason, of course, is a lot has been said about dues. Right from our childhood, we are taught, as a koro, there are a lot of things that what you should be doing. So there are a lot of people, poverty elevation, urban development, you should have better food, better health, better roads, and all of them are extremely important. They have got to be there. So since plenty has been said on that, I said I will not talk about that. There's a lot of it already available. The second thing is, cost of negatives in life, at least in the security sense, is much higher than the dividends of the positives. If I do 100 good things in life, but if I lose one battle, probably that will be detrimental to the entire other major tactical victories that I might have fought, that I might have gained. You make your entire life and sacrifice it for building up a career, for building up a name, for building up a brand. And one mistake you do, and it neutralizes everything. So the negatives are more important. Don't underestimate that. Nations have failed more often, not because they failed to do the right things, but they did something which was wrong. Of course, there's one personal reason also, but how many of the men in this room are married? How many? Please raise your hands. Do you know what is the biggest contribution of your wife in your life? They prevent you from making mistakes. They tell you what not to do. Probably you may be a foolhardy, you like to take greater risks, you like to go for great adventures than others. They work as a break. Not that they completely stop the vehicle, but they slow it down and keep it below the danger mark. So that is why, just think, had Hitler not moved into Russia, he had won the Second World War. He did one mistake. He did everything, what I mean is that from his point of view, he did everything right in completely trampling over the entire Europe. This is One mistake and he did, if Mussolini had not invaded Greece, if Japan had not bombed Pearl Harbor, if the Soviets had not moved into Afghanistan, if Nehru had not neglected the advice of Sardar Patel on Kashmir, and if after the 1970 elections... After the 1970 National Assembly elections in Pakistan, Awami League, which had the largest number of seats, absolute majority, they would have allowed Bujibur Rahman to become the Prime Minister. There would have been no Bangladesh. One mistake. So avoid the mistakes. But these mistakes are both generic and some are specific, contextual. I am talking today in the context of India. And in the context of India, it has got factor in India's own weaknesses, India's own strengths, India's own risks, India's own opportunities. In this context where we can go wrong. This is not something which is for absolute for all times to come. This is for what, how I see next 10 years. For next 10 years, avoid these mistakes. Not that after that, there is no need for being careful about the mistakes. There will be, but there will be a new one. There will be a new context. It will be the new India. And people or the thinkers or the analysts or the strategists of that period 
we'll have to think again about that, about their time. That in the new context, what are the things that we should be avoiding and what we should be doing. I'll tell you one small doctrine. This is a basically a security doctrine, but it also is a common day doctrine. Your biggest strength is your biggest vulnerability. The minimum number of deaths due to drowning is in Rajasthan. And not the people of Rajasthan are great swimmers. This is all but they don't drive. And the highest number is in Kerala or in the coastal areas where they are born swimmers. They start swimming in the, in the seas right from the age of three or four. Because if you are a billionaire, you run the risk of losing the billions. I don't. That is your great strength. That also is your great vulnerability. Unless you are very careful about it. People can rob you only of what you have. Our biggest strength is our democracy, our polity, which is based on constitution, our pluralistic society, our big civilizational heritage. And as Robinson, who had done a lot of research on that and had written the book, Why Nations Fail, he has said, and I quote, that those who fail to ensure inclusive political, economic, social development tend to fail. So this is very, very important that our democracy is preserved. It has got a lot of positives. Our constitution, our institutions, our laws. All this is good. But can this democracy can be a weak democracy? Can this democracy necessarily lead us to the vision of 2030? Yes, it can. If we are able to avoid certain things. And that is what I would like to share with you. Since it's our biggest strength, it also has got some inbuilt vulnerabilities. One is this, that it can become a soft power. Weakened democracies can tend to make a country a soft power. And India cannot afford to be a soft power for next years. It has to become a soft power with the ingredients of all the soft power, but also the hard power. It, because it will this be compared to take hard decisions. And it becomes soft power when you have to make compromises. And you have to make compromises when your political survival takes precedent over the national interest. So if India does not want to be, have a democracy which is, leads to a soft power choice, India will have to have the governments which are stable, which are decisive, which are in power by their own right, by the total mandate of the people. A fragmented polity can considerably delay or even make it impossible for India to realize its dream. Because that polity will not be, because the weak governments are unable to take hard decisions. And for taking India ahead, it will be necessary to take those hard decisions. Hard decisions which are good for the people but do not necessarily are populist decisions. Another problem is unstable regimes are more vulnerable to fragility, corruption, and local and sectorial political interests taking precedent over the larger interests. And that is a danger. 
You want to see the examples? At one time we thought that the Brazil is going to do this. It was just on the upward destiny. You know, when the BRICS was formed, it was one of these things that, well, Brazil was one of the coming areas. What happened to Brazil? Went very well under the Lulu's regime and others. And then suddenly the politics started getting fragmented. And then the weak politics. And today, Brazil is now not only in the plateau but below that. South Africa was doing well. And then today we find that South Africa after this thing has become. Greece was one of the founding fathers of the United Nations at that time, one of the developed countries of this thing. What happened this to Greece? This is All India Radio Fragmented Archives recording. Coalitions, unstable coalitions, government coalitions. It is growth in Europe. You see the world, while democracies are powerful and a very, very deliverable polities which can provide these things to the growth of the nation and ensure a pluralistic, holistic growth. The fault lines of it are not totally and correctly addressed and people make the mistakes, probably they can become the weak. So India cannot go for unstable coalitions. 2030 onwards, I do not know what this is. But till then, we want decisive governance, decisive leadership. And second point I want to say is that don't mistake democracy for the ballot box. Ballot box is a mechanism to find out who will make the laws for you and what will be the laws of this country. It is not democracy by itself. The democracy is that the laws which are made by the representatives of the people will be adhered to by all the people and will be enforced with the total strength of the might of the state. If the state is unable or refuses to enforce those laws with the court they're saying there's no point in having the democracy. What is the point in having those laws that you cannot enforce? What has happened is we think that the, probably the democracy is over as long as we, either in the executive or in the lawmaking, we have got the people's representatives. We are not governed by the people's representative. We are governed by the laws which are made by the representatives of the people. And therefore, the rule of law is extremely important. We should avoid any erosion in the rule of law. And at times, I find that there are tendencies that we do not fully understand or estimate. That is, for political expediency this or is all in radio also a form recording. in which the rule of law is undermined. If a strong India has to emerge, all temptations to undermine the rule of law should be avoided. But there's another danger for to the democracies. And now that there are a lot of friends from the media here, I think, it is the power of the false narrative in destabilizing a nation, in weakening the democracy. After all, in, in democracy, the people make choices. How do they make their choices? They make their choices on the basis of the information that they have got, the data they have got. If I make the choice, there are four things to eat. And if I have to make a choice what is good for my health, it is the information that has been given to me about the four dishes. What happens if one dish happens to be a poison? And my information is this, that this is something which is the elixir of life and make me immortal probably I will die. Democracy requires people to be enlightened, educated, and informed, but rightly informed and rightly educated. What happens if what is driving you and what is influencing your decision-making itself is contaminated? 
and there is there is always a possibility of the false narrative derailing the democracy today it has expanded many fold because of the technology and it becomes the responsibility of everyone every citizen every man in the media everyone who speaks every institutions every gathering that you go that erode the strength of the false narrative it is engineered i am told that there are agencies who specialize only in this work this is i am told that the intelligence agencies have got separate departments which work only in creating false narratives against their adversaries and they, they fall into the trap when i come to the hard power i think i'll refer to it a little later when you talk about psyops or you talk about, do you know how much of an effort was made by the british against the germans during the second world war to tell the germans about how vulnerable they are and how they are going to lose they spent millions and millions in those days of pounds of doing the disinformation and creating uh, this thing against hitler i am not telling that what they did was wrong but the fact remains it could influence the think of the person i think there is very interesting story in mahabharat what happened that after the battle of mahabharat was this thing and then karna was appointed as the commanding chief of the of the army of kauravas he wanted to have a charioteer so duryodhan told me i can't get you a charioteer better than krishna he is a god himself he says but if i have to fight arjun i have to have a charioteer of his uh, capabilities that was not possible but he said you tell me anyone so the second best who was available was one king shalaya of madra he actually was a devout of lord krishna but he agreed on duryodhan's prodding but he had only one condition he said that when i am on your chariot you will allow me to talk to you anything that i want so he said okay karna was unhappy about it because he wanted his focus and concentration but he said okay it's fine now this charioteer when the battle started started telling that well karna you are bound to die you can never this win they are so powerful even the god is on their side but he meticulously did what karna wanted him to move his uh, chariot into the he did everything but he continuously in his ears were trying to demoralize him he got fed up with this that finally when the chariot came face to face with that he said leave my chariot but he said well you have to die even whether i leave or i don't leave and that is the time when probably this the, their ultimate phase of it, this thing comes so this power of the false narrative is something which can be very very debilitating on the destiny of a nation we are used to some loose talks irresponsible talks we think it doesn't matter because that is only minor entertainment that we have got we can the reputations of others the honor and this thing of others you we erode the faith of everyone in whatever he has got a faith in if i have got a faith in something you create an environment in which my faith is shaken in that if i am loyal to my leader you create a doubt in my mind that my faith has got in this thing like you do not to the nations have to be built it has got to be an impactful faith in our constitution in our law in our systems in our judiciary in everything in our and reinforce it i don't say that well they are always right remove the mistakes but be very positive about it 
the negativism and the false narratives on the basis of which the communal rights take place, the ethnic violence takes place, some uh, social uh, animosities are created. You know, there can be a, any number of dangers to a nation, which a nation where the people are used to work on contaminated data. I think the second sector of our strength comes out of our economy. And Indian economy, I think, is one of the biggest uh, source of our strength today. The world recognizes us as the world's fastest growing major economy. And as I said by the this 2030... This is India Radio but believe, Or can it go wrong? It can go wrong. And if you want that it shouldn't go wrong, there are certain things that we should avoid. The populist measures should not take precedence over national requirements. It's a temptation. That is, you take the things or you refrain from doing the things which are in the national interest, but probably for a short time, they may cause some pain to them. They may cause some hardship to the people. You can be populist by doing many things, but when you have to take firm decisions, difficult decisions, in the larger interests of the nation, even though they may not be very populist, if you fail to do that, probably country will not be able to achieve its destiny. It will not be able to realize its dream. If you do not have in the whole of a country a one taxation system, one law, one system of governance and others, obviously the economy cannot do this thing. It can be only a smaller economy. If it has got to be a big economy, a mega economy, a major economy, we are talking about a 10 to 11 trillion economy, you can't have a taxation system which is so fragmented that you have to 20 miles and you have got a different type of a tax structure and a tax rate. But it might be a measure which may cost some Choices whether you take a populist measure or you take a measure which is in the larger national interest. So we have got to avoid taking the measures only for giving precedence that the populist measures for political gain or advantage, relegating to the secondary positions the larger national interest. And within that also comes the question of the physical management or the fiscal management of the economy. Sometimes the fiscal managements or the making of the budgets require certain hardships. Today we are faced. Today we are facing very difficult things about the rise in the crude prices world over. It is a crisis for us, it's a crisis for many non-oil producing countries. But we as a nation, we have got to see whether we completely delink it from what the international prices are and make it populist by telling that, okay, we'll give up everything else and subsidize it. Or we said that, okay, nation will bear, we'll share it together. This is a phase, it has come, it will pass off. It is not within our competence that this thing come. Probably, maybe take, it may take another six months, it may take another eight months, probably it will stabilize. If we do not get derailed and deflected, the trajectory of our growth will not be affected. But if to make it a populist measures and something that you would like to do, the expediency of this thing, probably you will deflect from that growth path. So we have got to complete and go into that. Another is, and I think this I tell, I know that it may not be a very popular thing to say, Every Indian trusts him as an Indian and a patriotic person, just because the monopoly of patriotism is not only of the people who are within the government. People in every field, I think I found most of the patriotic people amongst my media friends. All private sector is not traitor. This country cannot economically prosper unless our private sector becomes strong. See, President Obama comes and talks to the parliament and talks about it and he says that, well, I'm taking away the orders for my private sector of $10 billion. Now, we probably would be even afraid of 
this thing for promoting our private sector in the countries abroad. We should be doing it. And Indian corporate getting all over the world probably is something to our advantage. See how much China is trying to do that and every other world with this thing. We had developed a mindset that probably if we are doing that, corruption is involved. No corruption is not involved. Indian government has got too many things, but Indian government is not a business house. It cannot be a corporate house. It cannot supplement them. They are, and we cannot have big Indian corporate houses unless capital formation takes place. And capital formation cannot take place unless recording. the profits are created. And if the profits are not created, capital formation doesn't take place. If capital formation doesn't take place, investments do not take place. If investments do not take place, employment is not created. If employment is not created, the revenues are not created. If the revenues are not created, government cannot pay for it, for the expenditures that it has got to do. After all, at the end of it, all the money that we are spending on our army, on our police, on our defense, on our railways, communications, space, they are very, very expensive things. Where is this money coming from? We can't treat them as enemies. We have to change the minds. Bad amongst them must be put behind the bar. Hardest rules should be made about this thing, but suspecting everyone and creating an environment where they cannot grow, both within the country and outside India, then India can rise up to a level. Beyond a level, it has to rise. Then India's business houses and corporate houses will have to grow. See, China is a communist country. And see how much of the Huawei or uh, any of these Alibabas or others, how big corporates they become. And how much the Chinese government has supported them. And China's global domination today, economic domination today, is not because of the Chinese government companies. It is because these Chinese, which are almost the government companies. And that is what we would like. That our private sector companies are almost the Indian government companies. They pursue and perform and promote the Indian strategic interest to that extent that probably we have got the basis over there. And that is what, that is what global corporates are doing. And the another is that avoid technological obsolescence. Anything which is based, any industry, any production, anything which is based on the technologies of yesterday, they will have to be weeded out. If we have got to become a big major power, our economy has got to be the most important plank. And if it has got to be this thing, then it has got to be globally competitive. All India Radio and it can be globally competitive recording. only in case it is technologically ahead of its time. So we cannot afford to work with the absolute technologies. Now, that will cause some pain. Government must try to reduce that pain. We must subsidize those things who are doing in a very, very conventional way. Otherwise, what will happen is that Diwali, Diaz, and Ganesha's made in China will come and will sold here and the Kumars will be out of production. All conventional and the low-grade these things will not be able to withstand the global competition. So this technological obsolescence is this thing. And I must say, the government's digitization program is a big game changer. The way the present government has tried to make the technology powerful, to make the technology powerful, get at the roots. If you digitize the whole thing, you computerize the thing, you are able to have the big data, you are able to have the big data management, you have the artificial intelligence. The future production, the future distance will be in the, when they are controlled and they are perfected by this thing that you are able to control it and you are able to manufacture and you are able to improve your production, you are able to market it globally through the power of the cyberspace. And the third area where I think we should not be doing certain, we should be avoiding certain mistakes is about the hard power. 
Now, I don't have to uh, impress the hard power here. I think we have a very distinguished uh, minister who has also been a great soldier of his time. And uh, he understands the value of the hard power. Do you know India today now just taken over France? But in the overall terms of the power rating, India stands at number 15 behind much smaller countries like Saudi Arabia or Israel or even Iran and things like that. Why? Because we have not been able to develop our hard power in the way and the direction. We are a very huge army. This is we are a very, very highly professional recording. army. But we are not where we ought. It has got a great importance and you require the hard power not because you have got any extraterritorial ambitions but you have got to have that the power of deterrence. That is the power which provides the stability, that provides that steel armor under which your economy, your industry, your human resource development, your people, this thing, even your democracy can sustain and survive. In the absence of that power, probably they don't have that armored cover to protect it. And for the hard power, get out of the Indian mindset of centuries, always preparing for yesterday's war. When we started this thing, we thought that, well, somebody had come to over this thing with the sit-traps and we lost the war because our horses did not have the sit-traps and we were only this thing on the blankets. So we got the sit-traps. By the time that they had come, they had also got the reins and they had got this thing like that. We were stepped behind that. We were ready for the war if the yesterday's war had to take place. No Second World War type of war is going to be fought anymore now. We probably, wars increasingly are becoming ineffective instruments and cost-ineffective instruments of achieving your political objectives. We are getting on the crowded's wars through other means. We are fast going towards the fourth generation warfare. Fourth generation warfare will be the warfare against the invisible enemies. You would not be, it will be the Soviets who will get defeated in Afghanistan. Despite the fact that in total power of the hard power, the economic power, the, the uh, technological power of Soviets were much higher than of the Mujahideens. Or the Vietcongs could probably oust the Americans. So just because superior weapons, superior communications, superior uh, budgets, larger size of the army will make it winnable is not necessarily true. Not that it's not required, but probably much more is required. And we'll have to think in terms of this thing that this what will be all the India Radio Archives recording. There may be the contactless wars. Technology may take over that much. Is it that is something that we should be preparing and heavily investing, heavily investing in seeing how we can do that technological excellence in, in our warfare. And I think it is these type of the ideas which the new government has tried to form. We have got various this things that the whole reorganization of the National Security Council Secretariat, where we have got a one vertical only on the science and technology. That is how we built our science and technology capabilities to meet our futuristic requirements. Covert warfare. And covert warfare can take many forms. Now, if you have got to influence a nation and if, after you fight a war so that that country behaves the way you want it, if you can put the, your government there or the people whom you would like to be there, that also is like a winning a war. If you can use the cyber system to see that in the American government or in the American system, you can do that. At least these type of experiments, whether they succeed or fail today, tomorrow they may succeed. How much of a vulnerability we have got? This is a type of warfare. That is, you can install the governments or make the governments fall by the power of technology. That is the covert warfare. There can be a covert warfare to hit your economy, to deteriorate your labor relations, to influence your media policy, to have the disinformation, 
for disruption to distinguish cyberspace your entire megadata your entire information that is being now collected and now is there is in the big mega platforms if that is destroyed the india's lot of asset is destroyed and then i think one more point which i think what we should be avoiding now is avoid external dependencies india's dependency in the military hardware either you have got the full chain or you have got nothing it is equal if you have got an electric power the thing from bhagra nangal dam to your house but only 1 cm of a line is cut in ambala you will not get a light there is nothing as 25% 70% collaboration indigenization 80% indigenization 90% indigenization in defense either it is outright 100% it cannot happen that is we have got everything of a gun but we don't have the bullet or we have got the bullet but we don't have the repercussion cap or we cannot have that tip or something like we will have to now go for whole complete systems whatever we own we are this thing and that's how i think the new government everything all new platforms that are coming it has to be 100% transfer of technology it has to be transference code we have now become these things the signatories to you know which were denied to us for a very long time whether it is the australian arrangement whether it was the wimsar this thing whether it is the the missile mcrtp all these things have been this thing that now india is part of it we are entitled and we have got the legal this thing that is we can acquire any technology if we have got the money we don't have to make 100 things but if we make 100 things we will make it complete from head to bottom everything with this technology with this components with it this thing. and that is what india should try to develop your own dependencies and if you can excel as we have excelled in many areas like say brahmos or many other areas that we are excelling probably india will become much more self reliant in having its hard capability ladies and gentlemen what i want to tell you is this that is india can only do itself india is poised to be a great power nobody can prevent it in the world except ourselves we are the only ones who probably will have to do lot of hard work to stop it stop doing that hard work let us try to do something in the positive direction let us give that cynicism and the negativism and build this nation and take this message to the every corner of this country india will need strong stable and decisive governments for the next 10 years let there be no doubt about it to achieve our national political economic and strategic objectives this is all india radio it cannot be a recording it has to be decisive weak coalitions will be bad for india democratic institutions must be strengthened rule of law must be adhered to with total commitment with religious commitment and countering the false and malicious propaganda should be taken on a war footing don't underestimate the strength of the false narrative sardar patel envisioned a great india if you want to make that great india a reality we all have to put our heads and our hearts and our efforts together thank you very much it's just an hour and so i have completed